Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. John Moran in general, I think he's athletic, he's explosive, he's confident. He brings that swag to the game that the game has missed. He's unapologetically himself from posting to dancing, post-game to dyeing the color of his dreadlocks in the front. I think he's exactly what the culture needs, exactly what kids need to see, especially the young black kids, that you can be yourself. I am dishing on the Elam ending into real games because I think it would truly affect the history of the sport. You know, a lot of times we play the game to obviously win, but I think there's manipulation that goes on throughout the game, understanding the time, understanding the score, understanding the fouls and all those different types of situations. And I don't think a set score should determine a win. I think the clock should determine a win. The Brooklyn Nets are currently an eight seed in the Eastern Conference. Obviously things are gonna change. KD's coming back. Seth Curry's obviously in the rotation right now, probably having to, to carry a, a heavier load because Kyrie can't play home games. KD was out for about a month and some change. And Ben Simmons will be a great ball initiator, play initiator for them to kind of free things up. But I think a lot of teams are gonna be trying to avoid them. Welcome to the 132nd episode of Pull Up. That's right, 132 episodes. It's currently Friday, March 4th. As you're listening to this podcast, obviously I recorded it a day earlier. And on this date, March 4th in 1990, four-time NBA All-Star Draymond Green was born in Saginaw, Michigan. Sag dog. Draymond Green turns 32 years old today. Despite his current injury, obviously he hasn't played in about two months. I think January 5th was his last game. Is he still in his prime? I think Draymond Green is still in his prime as a guy who is 30 years old, who will be turning 31 in September and takes great care of his body, eats well, does all the little things, soft tissue work, um, yoga. I see him riding on his Peloton a lot. He's very, very into his diet and structure. I think he is still in his prime based on the research uh, that we've done on bodies, based on the research teams have done on bodies, looking at LeBron, obviously, as kind of the face of longevity. Chris Paul, who's gone vegan, is now one of the faces of longevity. I think players are getting better in their mid to late 30s because of not only the years of experience, but understanding how they can impact the game and how they should be taking care of their bodies. A quick update on the Pelicans and what's been going on this season. If you haven't been watching us play, we've won three straight games since the All-Star break. We're playing great basketball. We have a better understanding of chemistry, a better understanding of player personnel, where guys are going to be at, obviously for me. I've been able to have some practices. I've been able to have more games. As of today, I've played eight games. I played five before the All-Star break, and the first five was me kind of figuring everybody out, everybody trying to figure me out, me getting a better understanding of the team, uh, the players, obviously, the city, the coaching staff, and what's expected of us adjustment-wise, how they kind of adjust throughout games, defensive schemes, coverages, the words that they use compared to the words that we use in Oregon in terms of terminology. I have a better understanding of all those things now, and I think it's kind of showing 
Willie's done a great job of kind of breaking things down. We have moments where he's teaching. We have moments where we're game planning. We have moments where we're going over ways that we're going to adjust our game plan throughout. And we always have you know, those teaching moments where we're going through plays, which is really important for a guy like me who just got to this city three weeks ago. But I think one of the coolest stats about how we've been playing post-All-Star break is that uh, we have the best defensive rating uh, post-All-Star break at 96.4. And our offense is ranked third at 120. Uh, for for the uh, 120 and a half on the offensive rating metric, which shows that we're not only getting stops, but we're getting out and running. We're playing faster. I'm doing a much better job of distributing the ball, getting the spots, getting assists. I think two nights ago I had nine assists, two turnovers. Uh, so I'm getting better at understanding where B.I. is going to be at, where J.V. is going to be at, uh, where Herb's cutting, where Jax is cutting. Uh, some of the guys that are coming off the bench, D. Graham, those guys are – uh, gaining a better understanding of me and how I play, and I'm gaining a, a better understanding of them and how they play. But I think one of the cool things is about how I'm being utilized um, in terms of being able to play a lot of point guard, being able to be in front of the defense, but also moving off the ball. Willie's done a great job of incorporating some of the sets and things that I was comfortable with in Portland. We're running some of that stuff where, they, where it's four out, one in, or we have the big, you know, kind of on the side, and I'm able to get into some pistol action where I can hit ahead and come off, and if he doesn't like it, he can do a dribble handoff, um, uphill dribble handoff to BI. We got some movement motion sets that that either end up in ISO situations or end up in you know late ball screens. We got some slip out plays, um, but I'm just really liking how I'm being utilized. I'm loving the situation. I think it's a match made in heaven. I'm happy to be here. I think you can kind of tell not only based on how well we're playing, but the joy and cohesiveness that that everyone is playing. And I think the the cool part is that. I haven't had to make any real adjustments. You know, the way I play is the right way. Like, I take a shot when they're there. When they're not there, I try to make a play for somebody else. I can dribble. I can shoot. I can pass. I can play at all three levels in terms of finishing at the rim, using the floaters, using the midi, shooting threes, not just catch and shoot, but off the dribble. And I think defensively, I'm learning more about, you know, what they want us to accomplish on that end. And I think it's translating more and more each game in terms of loading up, in terms of getting into the ball, downing. Our switch is called red, so just getting used to those terminologies. And then our black is called denying, whereas in Portland, black uh, meant that we were switching. So a lot of times that's kind of confusing. But I'm getting there slowly but surely, and I'm excited. So outside of those small adjustments, it's been an easy transition. The hard part, obviously, is being away from my family, uh, my son, my wife, my dog, uh, Chef Joy. Uh, just that comfort that you have when you're in those types of situations has been taken away. But I think the most growth, as I've said before, uh, comes when you're uncomfortable. So I'm just excited about some of the changes that are happening in my life and how I'm taking advantage of them. And I think, as I said before, it's no surprise. I expected to play well. I expected to contribute. I expected to be efficient based on how I train, based on how I approach the game. And I've always said that I'm the type of player that when I have a higher usage, I become more efficient. Uh, I'm able to just really play the game to my strengths. I don't have to force the action. I don't have to try to score. It comes naturally. And with the way I'm being used here uh, in New Orleans, uh, I'm not having to kind of go through, you know, those moments or, or times throughout the game where I may have to force a shot. I may have to force a play or make a play. Now it's just kind of coming more, more naturally. It's coming more easily. And I think it also helps that I'm in front of the defense a lot, but I'm also behind the defense, so I'm kind of playing on the ball and off the ball. And from a role standpoint, I think guys are just accepting their roles. They're they're playing hard. They're doing all the right things, doing the little things. Guys are enjoying setting screens, and I'm just trying to set the table uh, and make the right plays. But I, I think this has been a it's been a cool transition, one that I'm thankful for, one that I'm happy uh, to be a part of. And I think the goal has been the same from the beginning, which is to to compete, win games, get into the playoffs, and, and make things very, very interesting. And 
going to be playing a really, really good Jazz team tonight, uh, a team that's one of the best in the West. They play the game the right way. They play hard. They're well coached. Obviously, they got Donovan Mitchell. They got the big fella in the middle. I think he had 10 dunks. Last game, they got a great bench, and they they do things the right way. They, they put Donovan in front of the defense, behind the defense. He's initiating a lot of the offense. I think he's the, the leader in the NBA in, in points per possession in the pick and roll. High, high, high usage, and uh, he's been very successful. So I'm looking forward to the challenge of playing against their team, playing against a, a group of bigs in, in Gobert and in Hassan Whiteside, one of my former teammates, it's going to be very, very fun. I expect a competitive environment. I expect the fans to be rallied. I expect us to go in there and compete and try to get our fourth win in a row. Turning the page, obviously, there was a lot of comments about me and Zion over the past couple of weeks. I was asked if I had been in contact with him, if I had talked to him during All-Star break. And I think the media took it and ran with it. But I just wanted to clarify that uh, the young fella is progressing, uh, according to reports, obviously, and that I, I think the media definitely you know, blew that whole situation out of proportion. I wasn't aware that it was going to go to those measures. I was literally just telling the truth when they asked me if we had spoken. We hadn't at the time, but obviously we since have spoken. But uh, I didn't I didn't really read much into it because I think it's important that Zion focuses on his rehab. I think he knows he's loved, he's needed, he's wanted here in, in New Orleans. And I think for him, it's just about getting himself healthy, kind of overcoming some of the obstacles that have been in front of him. And I think he's working towards that. And as a, as a younger player in the league and as a guy who has been a younger player in this league, I think a lot of times you have to focus on yourself and figure yourself out first. And I think he's going through that process now of tightening things up so that he can come back the best version of himself and come help uh, take us to the next level. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do. And I think based on his talent, his skill set, and what he's able to accomplish on the court, his presence on the floor, all those things will help impact us in a positive light going forward. And uh, just, I just want to make sure I touched on that. We have so much to talk about. We're going to talk about John Morant. The Sixers looking so, so scary. And whether or not we should think more about the Elam ending. But make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Hit us with a five-star review. Share the show with a friend and tell that friend to tell a friend. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pull Up Pie for fresh content all season long. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This segment is just about John Moran in general. I think he deserves his own segment after what he's been accomplishing um, these last few weeks and, and just throughout this season in general. You're talking about one of the most explosive players the game has ever seen. I think some people have gone on record saying he's a mix between Allen Iverson and Stevie Francis. Um, he's athletic. He's explosive. He's confident. He brings that swag to the game that the game has missed. He's unapologetically himself from drinking Casamigos on planes to uh, posting to dancing post-game to dyeing the color of his dreadlocks in the front. I think he's exactly what the culture needs. He's exactly what kids need to see, especially young black kids, that you can be yourself. You can be six foot. You don't have to be six eight. You don't have to be 225 pounds. And you can still impact the game with skill, obviously, with execution, with an ability to manipulate a game, not only with your athleticism, but with your passing. I think he's done all those things. This season, he's averaging 27.6 points per game, six rebounds, Six assists. He's putting up crazy, crazy numbers. And one of the more impressive parts of his game is the fact that he's living in the paint. For a guy who's only 170 pounds, I think he's number one or number two in the NBA in points in the paint per game, around 17 17 points per game in the paint, which is absurd. He's shooting 49.8% from the field, basically 50 from the field, getting to the line seven times a game, and just really kind of controlling things. He dropped a career-high 46 points on the Bulls and followed that up with a 52-point performance against the Spurs, which, oh, by the way, came against DeJounte Murray, who's one of the best defensive players in the NBA, regardless of position. He had a dunk on Jacopo that was nasty. He caught a full-court alley-oop and jump shot to end the half, which is now an Instagram record uh, for the most viewed video in Instagram history from the sports side in terms of the NBA. I am very, very impressed with him. I will say that... He's playing better than I thought he previously was, like in terms of, you know, him coming out of college. I knew he was good. I knew he was talented. I knew he could get his players involved. I knew he was athletic. I knew he had a little midi, he had handle, but I didn't think he would live in the paint the way he lives in the paint. I thought that he would get floaters off. I thought that he would get assists, but like he's finishing over bigs. He's dunking on bigs. He's laying bigs up. He's making the pass to the corner. I think the Memphis Grizzlies knew he was good. The the entire NBA, the league knew he was good, but he's proven to be great faster than expected. And I think that's what's fun to watch. You know, when you have have guys like D. Wade talking about he's going to be up on that podium in 20 years. And by that podium, I mean top 75 or top 100 greatest players of all time. That's kind of stamping him as not only a great player, but one of the greatest players to ever play the game, which is a crazy thing to say about a guy in his third year who comes from school at Murray State. But that's the trajectory he's on based on his talent, based on his accomplishments that are coming, based on his impact on the game, and also based on his legendary work ethic, which if you haven't seen the videos of him working out, you know, in the yard with his pops on concrete, you know, resistance stuff, weighted stuff, the ability to really adapt and translate a game from college to the NBA is tough on a lot of players, especially when you go to small schools. But as I always say, the cream rises to the crop and the dog's going to eat, and this dog is eating. I think he is a guy you can definitely start a franchise with. Um, looking at looking across the league at guys under 24, guys at 25, he is definitely top five in players you would you would use to start a franchise. You know, you could argue 
Luca, you could argue Trey Young, but I mean, based on the way he's playing and the fact that he started in the All Star game in the Western Conference, kind of tells you how he's viewed not only amongst his peers but also amongst the coaches and the media. So I would say that you know if you're starting a young guard in this league, you have to start with him, and it's debatable that he's arguably the best point guard in the NBA right now. And that takes me to my next topic, which is top five must-see TV players. And let me break this down for you guys because I don't think people truly understand the definition of must-see TV. I don't necessarily mean the top five best players. I don't necessarily mean my top five favorite players. I mean, when I when I have some time to watch a game on League Pass or on TV, I am clearing my schedule to do it or I'm checking in between things that I'm doing to see how certain players are performing. Or I may have my camera kind of posted up on the side. By camera, I mean my smartphone, my iPad, whatever the case may be. One of the other things I've noticed in locker rooms throughout my my history of playing in the NBA is that most teams you know, have a video room where there's a bunch of TVs. Maybe there's four or five, six TVs in a row. And a lot of guys you know, get their pregame stuff in. They work out, they lift, they're on their phones or whatever. And they go to this room to kind of watch other games across the league. Generally, I've been on the West Coast, so we've always had the later start times. So we are always able to watch the East Coast games, you know, the the four o'clock Pacific time starts. And I've seen players, coaches, people from other organizations watching some of these players, watching other players across the league, going out their way to kind of check their cell phones. I've been on the set for shoots for partnerships to where, you know, I'm checking to see how some of these guys are playing. I think that's what I define as must-see TV. When you're willing to kind of go out your way and plan around certain situations, for example, as we're recording this podcast, it's Friday, the Lakers and the Warriors play on Saturday. That game is must-see TV because it has a must-see TV player in it, as well as another. My list is Ja. For obvious reasons, explosive, athletic, plays with flair, swagger. Might dunk on your center, might hit a three from 30 feet, could throw a dime, no look. Easy decision. Steph Curry could shoot from anywhere on the court. Capable of hitting eight eight threes, 10 threes, 15 threes. Broke the record in the All-Star game for most threes after the Cleveland Cavaliers fans in the city booed him. Kind of shows you where his mentality is. Giannis, one of the most dominant forces the game has ever seen. A walking 30 and 10, probably a walking 30 and 13 if it's a nationally televised game because he's going to play harder than your, he's going to play harder than your energy guy and he's going to play stronger than your center, but he's also too athletic, too mobile, too quick for just about anybody to guard him. That combination of strength, size, and speed is unlike anything we've seen. DeMar, the mid-range master, DeRozan. He just won conference player of the month. Um, just broke Michael Jordan's record. He broke Wilt Chamberlain's record for most 35-plus point games consecutively while shooting over 50% from the field. Legendary guy, does things the right way, works on his craft, puts his head down, has been cast off time and time again, was sent to San Antonio where they said that he wasn't as good as he was supposed to be. He's not this. He's not that. He needs to shoot more threes. What do you do? Just get more efficient in the mid-range and go average almost 30 points a game. This was a tough one. All right. I just want to preface this by saying I would have included KD, but he hasn't been playing. I would have included Zion, but he's also injured. Obviously, you could go with Luka. You could go with Trey Young. You could go with all these guys. But I went with Jason Tatum because Jason is as smooth as they come. He's got a step back right. He's got a step back left. He could also dunk on your center. He can initiate the offense. He has a mid-post game. He's able to do a lot, a lot of different stuff. He's able to kind of manipulate the defenses when he wants to. Shares the shine with Jalen Brown, but still goes on to do his job. I also want to go on the record saying that I play alongside Brandon Ingram every night now, so I'm able to watch him 
so I don't have to turn on the TV to watch him. And then I get to watch the game afterwards and see the film of him scoring 24 points and a half on nasty pull-ups. High, high level of difficulty stuff, if you ask me. Now it's time for pull-up or dish on the Elam ending. For those that don't know, the Elam ending was invented by Nick Elam. It was first instituted in the basketball tournament, which is known as the Million Dollar Basketball Tournament. My brother has actually won it four times, four consecutive championships actually before retiring from it. The game clock essentially shuts off at a specified point and a new target score is added to the leading team's total. In the NBA All-Star game, the number has been 24 points added to honor the late Kobe Bryant. Every game ends with a game winner and it has had major success in the All-Star game. However, I am dishing on the Elam ending into real games because I think it would truly affect uh, the history of the sport, the passion of the sport, and the principles in which the sport is played. You know, a lot of times we play the game to obviously win, but I think there's manipulation that goes on throughout the game, understanding the time, understanding the score, understanding the fouls and all those different types of situations. And I don't think a set score should determine a win. I think the clock should determine a win, when the buzzer is about to go off, because that kind of creates the indecision uh, on both sides, the nervousness that comes when it's under two minutes, under five minutes, and it's, and it's crunch time, and also the last minute of a game, which is usually a lot of back and forth. Most games are decided by one to five points, especially during playoff time. So I don't think that they should mess with that. I don't think they should put it in the post, in the potential midseason tournament as well, because it would take away from the history of the game and, and kind of what this game means to us and how we kind of prepare and train and also how younger generations are kind of looking up to us and watching our games. And if if we make that drastic change, I think that it's going to trickle down to college. Obviously, we'll trickle down to the G League, high school, and beyond. And then we'll have our grassroots, you know, basically doing some of these same things, which is not something that I would like to see personally. I think most players enjoy the Elam ending in these types of settings, all-star, even if it's a, a summer league or, or some type of event in that manner, it, it makes the game more fun. It kind of spices things up. But I think for the history of the sport, I wouldn't like to see the NBA change that rule. I think if that rule were changed in the NBA, a lot of basketball purists, a lot of legends would probably not be happy about it. Now it's time for Get the Dub, Take the Yell. I just want to let all the fans that are listening know that you're taking an L this week, as well as me. Ben Simmons is likely to not play on March 10th against the Sixers. He's been battling some back issues, and his agent has gone on the record saying that, you know, he's week to week. I think Brian Windhorst went on the record saying that he's week to week and unlikely to play in the coming weeks due to some back soreness as well as back stiffness. I think this is a tough situation, obviously, because as a basketball fan, I just want to see him play, and I want to see him play well, but also... As a guy who loves competition, I want to see him play well in Philly after all that went went down and all that happened. But I also think that the fans are still going to get quite a show. You're going to get James Harden. You're going to get Joel Embiid. You're going to get Kevin Durant. You're going to get Kyrie Irving. You're going to get Seth Curry. Revenge game, Andre Drummond. This is a revenge game for some players. This is personal for other players in which... You want to play well, you want to dominate, you want to show what you have to offer, but you also want to show the other team what they're missing out on. And I think that's the cool part, the cool factor in all of this is that 
at some point, Ben is going to play well against the Sixers and show them what they're missing out on. And obviously, you're going to have that little back and forth where there's those little personal moments where there's a one-on-one with Kyrie and James Harden. One-on-one with MB dunking on somebody and pointing in their face. And I think that's what's really going to make this game entertaining and fun. And then you have the Sixer fans who will definitely make that game fun with the cheers as well as the boos. The dub of the week has got to go to the Sixers. They've won their first three games with Harden. They look great. Embiid is playing well. He's happy. It's still the honeymoon phase. Tyrese Maxey looks great. There's a reason why they weren't able to involve him in any trades. He was off the table, off limits. They're playing with pace. James is efficient. He's effective. He's getting free throws. The Sixers are probably going to break a record for most free throws any day now because one game uh, last week, Embiid shot 27 free throws, making 23. James lives at the line. He hits that back three. He's getting to the cup, finishing around the basket. Has a different type of pep in his step now that he's in Philly. It's amazing what a situation will do for you in terms of being happy, being wanted, feeling loved, feeling needed. He's getting all those things in Philly, and he's rewarding them with all-star caliber play, which is probably going to lead to about a $50 million a year extension in, in his near future, which is also very, very nice. I'm really happy to see Tyrese Maxey though playing well. I thought this trade would affect him. I thought it would hurt him in terms of his efficiency, in terms of his effectiveness, but I think it's made him better. James has continued to be the primary ball handler, but he's specifically looked for him and counted upon him to score and to be efficient and effective. Tyrese talked about at the podium uh, last game about how he wasn't necessarily performing as well as he would have liked, and James asked him if he was going to play at some point today. He responded with 21 points in the second half. I think those little mind games that James has played and continue to play with him kind of shows you the type of person he is, but also kind of shows you how much his teammates look up to him. And I think Tyrese being able to see how he works, being able to see how Embiid works um, on a day-to-day basis is going to help, but also the amount of tension both those players are going to take away from him. James is going to get the best wing defender. Ben's going to get uh, Ben. Embiid's going to get the best big defender. And oftentimes, one of those guys is going to be doubled. Or, or put in a corral. By corral, I mean James comes off to pick and roll. There's his defender, and then there's the big defender, the five man that's guarding him. They kind of corral and make him pass. And when they do that, there's two to the ball. That means there's a three on two on the backside. And the, usually the other team is able to take full advantage of it by three on three on two or four on two, four on three, depending on uh, the, the floor balance, if you will. But I think Maxie has done a great job. I'm happy to see him playing well. I've heard legendary stories about his preparation, how hard he works. And you can tell that his game is really, really translating. I don't see them having any struggles. I think the Sixers are going to be good. They're well coached. They have depth. They got wing defenders. They have shooting. Tobias Harris is still trying to figure out, you know, kind of where he fits in, obviously. Uh, a lot of touches going to Embiid. A lot of touches going to James. Maxie's kind of killing in certain spots, and I think Tobias is kind of figuring out where he can kind of exist at and and be most efficient. But I think the Sixers are going to be good against the top teams in the league as well because their two best players can play in the half court, and that's what you need against good teams. You need to be able to play in the half court and execute. They can run pick and roll. They can run ISO. And one of the best things they do as a team is they get to the free throw line where they're able to score with the clock stopped. And that's what you really want, being able to score while the clock stopped. I didn't have the Sixers ranked in my top five a week ago, but their roster has changed. And they are now in my top five. I think they are a very good team. They're a contender. They are a team that can get out of the East, that may get out of the East if they're healthy. Speaking of the East, it's only right that we touch on this new segment that we have here. That's titled, People Aren't Talking About Blank. 
Right now, I want to say that people aren't talking about how they're going to be trying to avoid Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference. The Brooklyn Nets are currently an eight seed in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, things are going to change. KD's coming back. A lot of players are going to be playing here shortly, um, including Ben Simmons. Seth Curry's obviously in the rotation right now, probably having to to carry a, a heavier load because Kyrie can't play home games. KD was out for about a month and some change. And Ben Simmons will be a great ball initiator, play initiator for them to kind of free things up. Uh, But I think a lot of teams are going to be trying to avoid them. In the event that the Nets finish as an eight seed, they probably play the Toronto Raptors, who are a seven seed. In the event they beat them, which I think that they would, they would secure the seven seed, which means the two seed would get the reward of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, Andre Drummond, LaMarcus Aldridge, Seth Curry, I could go on, but I'll stop there. My point of all this is that the season is going to continue to go on. There's a lot of different scenarios and situations in which many teams are going to focus on developing their players, right? And that's just another word for trying to lose games. Um, they're, going to, they're going to be developing players, uh, playing the younger guys, bringing up guys from the G League, playing guys that were drafted late in the second round, just kind of experimenting to really see what they have you know, in their roster, what they see in the players and who they're going to try to keep and kind of expand roles on. Other teams are trying to make the playoffs. They're going to compete. They're going to play their guys. They're going to shorten their rotations. They're going to kind of work on, you know, playoff execution. And then other teams are going to try to win most of their games while keeping an eye on the seedings, um, trying to figure out who they think is a favorable matchup, trying to figure out do they want to be at home court? Is it really worth it? I think historically teams have gone through that. I remember being in Portland, you know, for, for obviously a very long time, and we would sit down and try to figure out, like, yo, who do we really want to play in this first round? You know what I mean? And I think it's kind of karma when you play around with the game, obviously, because as the saying goes, you got to be careful what you wish for. But I remember, you know, one year we were more inclined to play a certain team. And we ended up sitting the last game of the season, you know, just for rest purposes, obviously kind of, you know, I had a tweaked ankle. I needed to kind of rest. Dame, Dame was battling some back tightness and some back issues. So we ended up sitting and uh, we were playing against the Sacramento Kings. I'll never forget this. And all we had to do was lose. Uh, and we would have played a team, but our, t- our players had other things in mind. Anthony goes bonkers. He scores like 37 or 38 points. They come from behind, from down 20, to beat the Sacramento Kings. And we ended up playing the Oklahoma City Thunder, who we had got swept swept by during the uh, regular season. So it was kind of funny how that, that ended up happening. But that was for the better. Like the basketball gods always reward you with what you deserve, right? You know, you're either going to play a team that you can beat or you're going to play a team that you can't beat at the end of the day. And I think that was a great matchup for us, one in which we were comfortable with and confident in. But I think the funny part is that I had, I remember telling our staff, I was like, look, I don't care who we play. I just want to be rested when we go into these playoffs. So I would prefer to just sit so I can be rested with whoever we play. And I think that was a similar sentiment because we were never like the type of team that could just walk into the playoffs and obviously just beat whoever. Um, Because generally we played 80 something games at 37 minutes a night. So we wanted to just be fresh for once, having seen, you know, how other teams kind of strategically rested guys throughout the year to where when the playoff starts, they still have that pep in their step and they're not kind of dragging or or carrying injuries from the regular season into the playoffs. But I think there's going to be a lot of posturing in the Eastern Conference for teams to kind of figure out how they should properly rest guys to potentially avoid the Brooklyn Nets. 
it's time for my favorite segment of the pull-up pod, the wine segment. I actually was in LA over the weekend, the previous weekend, and I have a standing 6 p.m. dinner at my agent's house every time I'm in LA because that's my guy, Laura, Sabrina, Michael, they all take great care of me. Uh, Those are my friends, those are my family. I've known them for a very, very long time and I truly enjoy a good dinner. At this dinner, they know I love wine, so they actually brought out a very, very nice wine. It was a 2017 Pomaz Vineyards Napa Valley Cab. It was very, very good. It was more smooth than bold. And I think one of the cool parts about this cab is that generally, when you think of cab, you think of something that's too bold. You think of something that's overpowering. Generally, for me at least, cabs kind of give me hangovers. They're kind of too much on my too much on my palate, if you will. And I think this cab was everything I could have wanted and more. And the fact that it was free for me at least uh, made it all the worthwhile. But for those of you that are interested in buying this, it's about 155 bucks, depending on where you get it from. It's among the top one percent of wines in the world. And the cool part is that although it is very bold, it is still more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet, and it has a higher bit of acidity, but you'll get the oak, you'll get the chocolate, the vanilla, the blackberry, the earthy type of taste, while still getting some slight hints of fruit, which is all I could ask for in a wine. It went well with the meats and cheeses, it went well with the pasta, it also went well with the steak. Some people had salmon as well as uh, other types of vegetables and they all truly enjoyed it. So I would highly, highly recommend that wine for those of you out there that are into that thing. As always, I appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. Pelicans jerseys are going on sale, just in case you have an interest in getting a new number three Pelicans jersey. Be sure you're following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Hit the show up on social at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're always posting fresh content all season long. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up.